1: Hello and welcome back to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. And today we're coming at you with uh, hopefully a shorter episode than last time. We went pretty far It's definitely going to be shorter than last time. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Last episode was over an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Um, but we really wanted to get through all and of those different debaters. And that was after all debaters. the cutting I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but today we're going to do kind of a less of a news intensive episode and more focus on some different uh, concepts that we've been wanting to discuss um, that uh, for a while.
0: So, what is our theme on this fine day, Michael?
1: Today, our theme is the veil of ignorance.
0: Huh? What is that, Michael? I am ignorant as to what that is.
1: Well, that's why I'm here to tell you. Um, so, the veil of ignorance is a thought experiment or a counterfactual that was popularized by John Rawls in his book The Theory of Justice. And essentially, it is a tool, a mental tool, for you to try to evaluate whether the circumstances in a society are just. So that's what it's for. And here's kind of how it's set up. You're supposed to imagine that you are in some kind of original state. Nothing in society exists, there's no, you know, uh there's no government, there's no laws, like society is a, at a zero place. And you are tasked with setting it up. Um and so
0: basically Thomas Hobbes's nightmare.
1: <laughs> you wanna unpack what that is? Well, well Thomas
0: Hobbes believed that um the state of nature of complete anarchy and no government was the scariest possible scenario you could ever have so he's the one that thought of thought we need a leviathan Mm -hmm. a strong central state in order to make sure that uh, people who in a state of nature are bad and evil and are going to kill each other that they can't do that basically an oppressive government is better than no government at all
1: sure yeah, but in this case, imagine you're a little bit more like God who has to play in the sandbox <laughs> after he sets it up.
0: Oh, I imagine that I'm God all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so and so, basically you're in this original position and you're tasked with setting up society and you have a veil of ignorance. You know nothing about what you will be like when society starts. You don't know whether you will be... White or black or male or female, whether you'll have a high socioeconomic status or a low one, you don't know if you'll um, be, uh, you don't know if you'll have certain abilities or disabilities, you don't know anything about what position in society you will occupy. And you're tasked with setting it up in a fair way. And so this is a really useful tool when you think about specific instances of um, circumstances in society.
0: Let's, let's unpack that for just a second, though. Um, so basically what this means is that say you're someone who is a white male in this particular uh, society, in this particular lifetime, in a society in which white males do have the most benefit. So you wouldn't want to design a society with that in mind, in the exact same way, because for all you know, you might be a person of color, you might be a woman. Um, So you would want to try to make it as egalitarian as possible. You would want to create an equal opportunity. Yeah, that's about right. So before we get started on the specific arguments for today, I want to talk a little bit about social democracy. The veil of ignorance can It best argues for creating a system of social democracy. Now, when I first heard about the veil of ignorance, my first thought is, oh, well, then the person's just going to design a Marxist utopia, but not necessarily, because in a social democracy, which, you know, let's take a step back and define what social democracy is. um, Social democracy is, in simple terms, the farthest left you can go and still technically be a capitalist. But what
1: does that mean in practical terms?
0: In practical terms, what that means is that you still believe in a free market. However, there is still a lot of government regulation, or at least uh, communal regulation, on said market. So you might have regulations on how much fecal matter is allowed to be in your meat. Um, Or if you're a vegetarian, uh, you might have regulations on... uh,
1: (laughs) Fecal matter in your lettuce. (laughs) Apparently all regulations in this society are about fecal matter.
0: <laughs> well, well, I mean that's a it's an easy argument to make. I mean, back when we were going with complete neoliberal capitalism with regard to the meatpacking industry, uh there was a bunch of fecal matter into it. So you actually had to have a administration come in and be like, "No, you can't serve people poop burgers." <laughs> um so social democracy means that you're taking a look at the market, looking at ways in which we can set a bar to protect people from potentially uh, dangerous products or oppressive businesses, it also is about believing in a strong social safety net that allows for people to start off on an equal footing. So for example, um, a lot of people, through, through no fault of their own, may get sick and then get bankrupt through medical bills. Social democracy says, no, you don't have to worry about that. If you get sick, we're going to take care of you. You just need to focus on your own merits, on developing your own merits, and you don't need to worry about that completely bankrupting you. It would also say uh, one of the major drivers of of social mobility is education, not just post-secondary education, but secondary education. As it stands in the United States, The education, the public education system is paid for primarily by property tax. And what that means is that the richer a community is, the better quality their school is going to be, which even though we do have a system of universal education, it's not universally equitable because... Not all schools receive the same resources based on what communities they live in. And if people do not receive a high quality education with and um, in their high school diploma, then they're significantly less likely to be able to succeed beyond what their the way that their parents succeed succeeded. They're far less likely to uh, achieve a higher socioeconomic status than their parents. And that goes for college as well. So it would also say, if you can't afford to go to college, if you don't have the funds to go to college, um, or at least in our current system, that doesn't mean that you just don't get to go. We're going to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to go to college without thinking of money, without worrying about money. Where you're going to get this education, and you have to work for it because that's where the meritocracy comes in. But you're still, but you're not going to have to worry about money while you're in college. Now, the important thing about this. And the way that this is different from any type of uh, socialist or uh, Marxist vision about a utopia is that this is about an equality of opportunity, not an equality of outcome. So not everybody's going to achieve the same outcome, but if you make sure that everybody starts off on the same footing and receives the help that they specifically need, then in order to get ahead, they actually do have to work hard and success will actually be determined on how hard a person works.
1: Yeah, I think that touches on a few really powerful parts of like the veil of ignorance thought experiment, which is one that like the restrictions of the world still exist. It's not it's not a make believe land. It's like no, there are economic constraints. There are challenges that we all face. The goal is to set something up where you no matter what position you start off in at in society can have a good, successful, prosperous Enjoyable life. Yeah. That doesn't mean you'll be the richest person. Doesn't mean you'll be the poorest either. It means that you'll be able to have the opportunities you need to be successful and have a good life. And so it's pretty useful. As you guys are thinking about evaluating different policies, you know, I I use it as a check on myself because a lot of my tuitions are very free market, are very capitalist oriented. And I use it as a check when I immediately go to that place to say okay well this is what i think of this is how i view the world as a you know white cisgendered man who would really like to be quite wealthy someday yeah um what about all of the other less well off and least well off individuals in society how can we make the bottom high enough for them
0: yeah and a necessary thing to point out when it comes to capitalism is that capitalism by its very nature will create economic inequality and the question is not and the question that i would pose is not necessarily is inequality a bad thing because i would argue that if we are creating a true meritocracy in which the amount of money a person makes is actually based on their own merits then inequality is a good thing because it does incentivize people to Uh, work harder. It incentivizes people to put more into their craft, put more into their labor um, in order to actually get ahead. Uh, But the issue is that's not not what we currently live in, because most people's path through life is primarily going to be determined based on who they were born to, who their parents are, how rich their parents were, how much money their parents have. And that is not Equality of opportunity, and that does not satisfy the promise of capitalism. Social democracy, as as I would argue, is really the only way that you can fulfill that promise of capitalism as being a system in which if you work hard, you can actually get ahead.
1: I think that makes that makes sense. Um because the thing about a meritocracy to me, the worry I immediately have is that in the real world, at least as I've seen it, as I've studied it. A true meritocracy can't exist. Can't exist. What exists is a perceived meritocracy, which is based in our biases and our societal structures. So the the all of the checks that we can put in place to try to get people to an equal footing where a, where as close to a true meritocracy can actually come to fruition, the better. And to Nathan's point also, you know it's true, like a tremendous amount of wealth and advantage is inherited. A full third of billionaire wealth in the world is inherited wealth, which is pretty staggering. And not just that, you know, you inherit, to Nathan's point earlier, your education, because if you live in a nice house, you'll go to a nice school. And if you don't, or if you live in a a poor neighborhood, your school will be underfunded. And so there are all kinds of ways where the life before us, the life of our um, immediate immediate generations or ancestors influences us. It sets out the limit of the possibilities that our life can potentially come to. And so, yeah, so that's basically the veil of ignorance and how we're setting up a discussion today, which won't speak too specifically about inequality itself, But in talking about the wealth tax and the very rich, um, we'll lurk in the background. Yeah, so as we like to bring to you every week, this is our tips for good. This is when we tell you about something that you can do to put good out in the world and make the world a little bit of a better place. Um, So our tip this week is right on theme. And it is that when you are in a city or walking down the street and and a disadvantaged or a homeless person asks you for money, the tip is just to look them in the eye and acknowledge them. People disagree on whether you should give them money or not, whether it enables them or not. Um, if you, ha- I don't carry cash personally. Um, so... I don't have money to, to give anyway. Um, but to us, like the huge thing is that you acknowledge their humanity. This is a rule that I live by always. When, when someone asks me for money, even, even like a non-homeless person, if someone were to ask me for something, I, I want to acknowledge them as a person making a request, not someone to be ignored, not, you know, just some, like a, a fixture of the street but a person worthy of respect worthy of being acknowledged so that's our tip this week this especially this holiday season as you're walking around when uh, if a homeless person asks you for money or well, um, even if you don't feel like you're in a good place to give it to them go ahead and look them in the eye and maybe say that you don't carry cash or something along those lines that is that comes with one important caveat if you feel unsafe for any reason
0: mm.
1: do not, Put yourself at risk or in danger. This is something to make the world a better place. If you feel like it would put you in some kind of risky si- situation, um, don't take this advice.
0: Or if you're autistic and eye contact makes you uncomfortable,
1: sure, absolutely. <laughs> but you, certainly, you could acknowledge that they spoke to you. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: I think that's huge. All right,
0: and that's tips for good. So today's episode is going to be a little bit more laser focused on one specific issue. and that is we're going to be talking we're going to be laying out the proposals of a wealth tax for you, discussing the counter arguments for them, and then kind of concluding with whether or not we think that billionaires should actually exist and discuss some of the arguments for that. So Michael, let's get started. Heck yeah. So the wealth tax, is not a tax on income, as most taxes have been, but a tax on wealth. And the big difference between wealth and income is income is the annual addition to your pocket, how much money you make in a year. The wealth is the amount that you have
1: accumulated
0: over your lifetime.
1: Before we get into this, why are we talking to you about the wealth tax? Partially it's because of what Nathan already mentioned. There's a lot of misconception out there about what exactly it is, what it's for, And why it makes sense. Uh, And so today we'll first talk about laying out exactly what it is. The reason we brought this conversation to you is because originally when I was hearing about the wealth tax, I was really uncomfortable with it. And I was unsure of whether it made any sense at all. And the more research I did, the more it made sense to me. And so later on, after we talk about the specifics of the tax, we'll do kind of a back and forth where I'll represent some of the criticisms of the tax. uh, And Nathan will... Um, talk about some of the specifics, and we'll try to make sense of it all.
0: Yeah, because with any major policy, there's always going to be counterarguments. There's always going to be counterpoints, and some of them will be based in fact, and some of them are based in you know fear in changing the status quo, and some of totally. them are based in hey, uh, I'm getting paid a lot of money to say this. Uh,
1: sure, but like I think, at least in the circles that I've been exposed to in the past. A lot of that fear of changing the status quo, intuition about what it means to live in a free market or a just society or things like that can, you know, be a little bit titillated by by significant changes um, and seriously ramping up the progressiveness of a tax taxation system. So definitely want to get into that. But first of all, Nathan, why don't you walk us through exactly what the proposals are?
0: All right. So. Two main people have proposed their own versions of the wealth tax, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So Elizabeth Warren first came out with her own version of it. It starts at uh, 50.1 million dollars.
1: So the first 50 million are free.
0: Yep, first 50 million are free. And anything after that, there is a 2% tax. and that goes to one billion dollars and then anything above 1 billion dollars is taxed at 3%. Now, she recently did alter this a little bit with her healthcare plan in which she rose the figure, the 3% figure starting at 1 billion from 3% to 6%. So, 2% between 50.1 million and 1 billion dollars and 6% between 1.1 billion dollars and above.
1: And that's on net worth which basically means all of the things of value that a person owns minus all of the debts that they owe yeah. is your net worth. So if you have a $300,000 house and you owe $150,000 on it and you have no other assets and no other debts, your net worth is $150,000. So, so this is $50 million of wealth owned free and clear yeah. that is the threshold for starting to be taxed.
0: Yeah, and we're talking about the top one-tenth of 1%. Um, And keep in mind, anything under $50 million is not taxed at all. And then anything above that is taxed two cents.
1: Yeah, and that's at least at the like federal level it's not taxed, and then capital gains is taxed on, on top of that if you have gains on, um, say, stocks or other, other assets that you own. But essentially, the only part of our tax code that it changes, the only thing that's affected is the $50 million of wealth plus.
0: Yeah, specifically the wealth. Uh, Bernie's, as is often on brand for him, said, you're making a progressive tax plan. Hold my beer. <laughs> that was a really good Bernie impression. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I pride myself on my Bernie impression. <laughs> my beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so his wealth tax goes uh, a little bit farther. First off, it starts at thirty-two point one million dollars at one percent, um, and then it and then it stops at fifty million, and then from fifty million to. Uh, 250 million. It's 2% from 250 million to 500 million, it's 3% from 500 million to 1 billion, it's 4% from 1 billion to 2.5 billion, it's 5% from 2.6 billion to 5 billion, it's uh 6%, uh from 5 point uh, from 5 billion to 10 billion, it is 7% and from 10 billion above, it is 8%.
1: So the takeaway here is that it starts at a lower threshold, 32 million, and it ramps up much more significantly as um your wealth increases. So instead of having one step, it's got a number of steps and then it ends up at an 8% tax over 10 billion dollars in net worth rather than a 6% tax at um 1 billion dollars of net worth. Yeah.
0: And let's also make one thing absolutely clear. Um a lot of uh, Bernie Sanders originally announced this tax plan when he made the bold statement that billionaires should not exist. Now, Michael and I are going to get a little bit more into whether or not we agree with that a little bit later, but I would just like to provide one important caveat. This tax, this wealth tax still allows for billionaires to exist. This is not going to completely get rid of billionaires. He may believe in principle that billionaires should not exist, but this wealth tax would not actually get rid of billionaires.
1: However bernie's plan is specifically oriented to redistribute that wealth so the the intent is is to uh cut the wealth of billionaires in the united states in half in 15 years and do a lot the the goal is to do a lot to uh to narrow the gap between the most wealthy people in our society and the least wealthy people in our society yeah absolutely um so What does that mean for overall revenue? So under the Warren plan, um, the United States government would receive an incremental $375 billion per year over the next 10 years. Um, And the Bernie plan would net an average of $435 billion a year over the next 10 years. So significant increase to our tax revenue, which um, Bernie and Warren have both proposed as components to... Significantly to fund significantly progressive plans. So the idea is: you know, take this wealth that for the most part is being held, um, not spent by definition. It's being hoarded. Exactly. And take that and use it to fund um, these progressive programs that help everyone in our country.
0: So, Michael, what are some of the counterarguments that people have made to this wealth tax? Because on the f- surface i mean maybe maybe it wasn't didn't feel this way to you when you first saw it but to me i was like yeah
1: so first of all it makes me feel significantly better that we're not talking about like taking you know 70 80% of these people's wealth like yeah. it's it's single digits we don't break a double digit percentage ever under either plan yeah um, but there are some still some important caveats uh, and counterarguments that you know i'll pitch up from probably the easiest down maybe to the hardest uh for us nathan and i to discuss and i'll propose the counter argument and i'll probably throw in some facts as well um so the first argument is basically like that's capitalism baby (laughs) is like basically just the status quo argument that wealth inequality significant wealth inequality is just part of the system we have and you know why change it It doesn't make sense to change to which
0: I'd say the easy counter argument is kind of the counter arguments that I made about social democracy, which is that the thing that the promise of capitalism, the thing that uh, people sell us on with capitalism is that it is a meritocracy, which uh, theoretically should mean that the amount of success that you do, the amount of um, success that you have in your life, should at least be partially proportionate to the amount of money that you make. and. Are you seriously going to tell me that Jeff Bezos, whose net worth is a hundred and twelve billion dollars, is proportionate to the amount of work he does, and so is a janitor who makes like twenty thousand a year? You're seriously going to tell me that that in any that he works that much harder than that janitor?
1: Okay, I'll concede that he definitely doesn't work like millions of times harder than that janitor <clears throat> that would be impossible but what about the argument that he creates millions of times more value so we're talking about someone that started from a bookstore in his garage and built a company that has disrupted the whole retail market has is on our TVs helps us get the products we want and need has changed the, the landscape of American life
0: Yes, his company absolutely does benefit uh, the United States in a lot of ways, and he does employ a lot of people. But at the same time, he's, the amount of wealth that he has is specifically, he specifically has due to exploiting his workers, putting them in uh, poor working conditions, paying them, until recently, uh, under a living wage, under 15 bucks an hour, which, by the way, credit to Bernie Sanders for uh, pushing for Amazon workers to finally get paid $15 an hour, I'm the amount that he gets individually is still not proportionate to the amount of good that he does in the world, specifically because of how many people he has to exploit in order for him to hoard his own wealth.
1: I'd say that's probably true. And even if even if the facts on the ground were not that he... Uh, was exploiting workers or things like that. There's also like the tremendous amount of benefit that he has received from the infrastructure of the company of the country that he lives in the, so not just like the labor from the individuals, but also benefiting from all of the tax dollars of everyone else. Like, you know, he benefits from the FAA because Amazon planes are flying more planes than ever before. He benefits from our trade deals internationally, which enable him to source from, you know, countries all over the world. He benefits from roads and bridges and and all of that has enabled him to produce a tremendous amount of value but also gain a tremendous amount of wealth and so the idea that like that he should be taxed at a significantly lower rate than other people based on his his income and wealth seems really strange to me and also let's not forget that last year
0: the the billion dollars in profits that amazon made they paid nothing in federal taxes so even if you are talking about a public good how much money this creates how much revenue it creates for the federal government they paid zero in federal income tax yeah like what the hell
1: yeah all and then and then the goods the benefit to the federal government comes only from the employees of Amazon getting taxed on their income <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I guess on some tariff money from importing stuff from China. And that's like pretty much, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a bad argument. Against yeah, it. I'd say that's a bad argument. And generally also like it's the status quo is stable, but not necessarily well, the best as, thing.
0: I mean, as Elizabeth Warren often argues, like the status quo was doing great. If you're rich, you know, maybe it's doing okay if you're middle class, but for the people that are living below the poverty line, which is like the highest among the top 10 wealthiest countries in the world, Mm -hmm. it's not doing so well. Yeah. Wages have remained stagnant for the last like two decades.
1: Yeah. Even as as the cost of
0: living has risen. Like we have not been keeping up with inflation. Yeah. So it is not doing well if you are of a lower socioeconomic status.
1: Sure. Yeah, generally speaking, like in our society with the inequality that we have, the status quo benefits uh, a certain group of people and not at all others and disadvantages many. Yeah. So what else? So what's another counter argument that we can discuss? So this one I kind of like. Um, and so basically, wealthy people don't have their money in cash. So if you think about like Warren's example of the wealthy heir who has $500 million in jewels and yachts and whatnot, um, and only makes $50,000 a year in income, the, the argument is basically, well, he's going to go, he's going to have no income. He's going to go totally bankrupt, um, trying to pay this tax off of his $50,000 a year income. So, so first, the, it's a cash flow question.
0: So first off, the wealth tax for Elizabeth Warrens does not kick in until your net worth is $50.1 million. And if the amount of stuff that you have has gotten to the point where it's worth over $50 million, you're still hoarding. Yeah. I mean... Sell one of your yachts, like yeah. Jesus.
1: <laughs> no, and I think that's I think that's a good point. Like,
0: you're not going to oh, get you've got,
1: bankrupt. You've got something that is in the market worth five hundred million dollars. Go sell some of it. Yeah, yeah. You can quickly get your assets. Uh, get your turn. Your assets into and again, cash flow. it's only two percent. And also, her plan provides for these people for these poor five hundred million dollar fifty thousand dollar a year. Um, The poor, poor, rich. Yeah, uh, by enabling them to defer their taxes with interest for up to five years. So they can say, hey, I owe you 500, like, you know, a a huge amount in taxes, but I don't have the cash right now. I am going to be able to get this only over the next five years, and you can sell off assets to get the cash flow in order to pay your tax plus interest.
0: Because keep in mind, cash... Is supposed to be a representation of resources. And a wealth tax is supposed to be about making sure that people aren't hoarding resources. So if you are hoarding resources to the point where it is above the threshold that Elizabeth Warren has put in place, you're still hoarding resources.
1: Yeah. I, I th- and I think this is, I think there's another really important point that goes along with this. We're not just talking about the lazy air with a bunch of money in yachts we're also talking about ceos where a significant portion we're talking you know two-thirds or more of their annual income is paid to them in the form of stock options which have a significant asset value and currently are taxed only as capital gains so this is income which has an advantaged tax rate so this is actually income that they are able to you know one it's an asset they receive from a company that's not cash, so not taxed as income, um, that they then are able to hold, let grow, and they're only taxed on, on the capital gains amount, which is a preferential tax rate. So this enables um, the system to help identify those individuals that have significant assets, but relatively low cash flow compared to their assets well, let's, and say, Hey, you still owe us money for that.
0: Well, let, let's also point out that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have also both proposed taxing capital gains at the same that, uh, rate that we tax sure. uh, federal income tax. So creating a progressive tax rate out of that. Yeah. So um, so that's another thing, which makes that.
1: a lot of sense. Yeah, makes total capital sense. gains is, is literally it's, income it's, in it's dollars. It's
0: just income that you get from investment. Yeah. Like why should that be taxed any differently than like, yeah working. (laughs) Totally.
1: It's like the most common sense thing and somehow because our system is skewed so badly.
0: So what's the next counter argument?
1: All right. Um, So this, this one's another fun one. If you tax wealthy people really highly, it's gonna disincentivize them from wanting to become wealthy and grow their wealth. This is an argument that you hear like you know, it's gonna stop innovation and hurt their spending because they're you know not going to want to work as hard to become super successful you know
0: michael I always thought i really wanted to make 50 million dollars and two cents and then i found out that if i did that those two cents would just be gone and you know what without those two cents Screw the rest of it. (laughs) I don't want any of that $50 million if I don't get those two cents.
1: Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. Like, the idea that any of us work really, really hard so we can earn, so we can have a net worth over $50 million (laughs) is crazy. (laughs) Like, And if you, like... That is if that type of uh, if that
0: type of wealth tax makes you decide I don't want to become a millionaire you're an idiot I
1: mean you're probably not going to become a millionaire at that point <laughs> yeah we're talking like this wealth tax will only affect seventy five thousand households of the one hundred and twenty eight million households in the United States so we're talking like the chance of you actually being affected by this tax rate change in a negative way the chance of you actually having your taxes increased because of this or being connected to a family that does is 0.058 percent 0.06 percent people yeah super unlikely and the fact that that will disincentivize people to work hard it seems pretty crazy
0: i don't think i know anybody that would actually be impacted by this like personally
1: if i did i'd be there instead of hanging with you (laughs) All right. So that's
0: a bad counter argument. Definitely.
1: So what about this? You're going after these people's rightly owned private property. Isn't that stealing?
0: No, it's taxation. I mean, so the idea that taxes are theft is such a bad argument. Like the only way, the, the natural conclusion of someone who would make such an erroneous point would have to be, okay, Go find an island somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or something and just live there. The rest of us want to live in a society. And in a society, you have to contribute a little bit in order to create a public good. You pay a little bit in taxes. So that means that you can uh, you can go on roads, that you can uh, have protection from... Uh, from crimes, so you have a police force. If your house catches on fire, the fire end, uh, the firefighters come and they try to and they save you. Uh, if you don't want any of that, then go live somewhere else. But the rest of us want to live in a society that's not theft. That is a contract. That is a social contract that you have entered in as a part of your citizenship. And if you don't want that citizenship, fine. Yeah,
1: the price if you don't want that citizenship is forty percent. <laughs>
0: If you're super rich.
1: Yeah, that's a reference to the um, proposal of a 40% exit tax to help close loopholes about um, uh, people avoiding taxes. But we'll get into that more later. Um, my my other point, along with Nathan's as well, is that f- you know if it's stealing from the wealthy to increase their taxes on their net worth, then the government's been stealing from all of us for a really long time. Yeah cuz like for a lot of the country there's essentially already a wealth tax in place. It's administered by the states and it's called your property taxes. So, like often your most valuable asset is your home. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to own that free and clear, which most people aren't. Um but most people in the United States, 99% pay 7.2% of their net worth in taxes. While the most wealthy 0.1% pay only 3.2% of their net worth in taxes. And that's largely due to the sources of your income and the sources of your wealth. And all this is basically doing is adding a couple stones to that 3.2% to level the playing, level the scales a little bit, and to help really fund really positive, progressive programs and help out our society. Yeah. Basically, it's leveling the playing field, which is a pretty compelling argument to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: What else? All right, Nathan. Here we go. Lots of European countries had wealth taxes, and they didn't work there. Mm -hmm. So what makes you liberals think that they would work here?
0: Well, I guess the argument is over. I mean, it didn't work in other places. No need to look any further. I mean, and this point was actually made by Andrew Yang, in a democratic debate. It was made by Cory Booker in the last democratic debate. Um, It's very easy to superficially look at, okay, well, this didn't work in several European countries that tried to implement it, so it must be bad policy. That's not entirely true because there are several reasons in which it did not work in Europe. Number one.
1: um, And and most of them have to do with tax avoidance. Most of them have to do with the fact that There were loopholes that enabled people not to pay the taxes they were on the hook for.
0: Yeah. Uh, So one of those was uh, the fact that Europe tolerates tax competition. So what that means is that in order for a tax to be leveled on every single country within the European Union, it has to be agreed unanimously by every single European country. That, that is that is in the European Union.
1: And if you've talked to the European Union lately, <laughs> they don't get a lot done fast. Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, in order to pass a wealth tax unanimously, I mean it's it's the chances of that happening are just astronomical. So the issue is that a lot of rich people were specifically doing business, in a country that did not have a wealth, or that did have a wealth tax, but living in a country that did not have a wealth tax, and because the countries were so close together, it was easy for them to get away with it. And they didn't have to forsake their citizenship. They didn't have to do any of that. All they had to do was just live slightly over the border. Which a lot of people, a lot of countries, um, ended their wealth tax uh, circumstance because a bunch of a bunch of their uh the richer citizens were specifically not living in their country in order to avoid it
1: that would be like california creating a wealth tax so all the wealthy people move to nevada and washington state and just slightly across the border to avoid the tax and then all of a sudden the tax tax is ineffectual and basically what you've done is pushed all of your really wealthy people out
0: yeah so this would not be present in the united states for several reasons first off in order to avoid the wealth tax, you would have to forsake your citizenship to the United States, and people are not going to do that. But if they do decide to do that, then there's even, there's actually a failsafe in the, uh, in the bill itself, which would impose a 40% exit tax on wealth.
1: On their net worth. So, you know, That's Jeff almost... Bezos' net worth of $110, 12 billion billion would be essentially cut in half. Yeah, he's like getting divorced from the United States.
0: Yeah, so there's a fail-safe put in place to disincentivize that uh, from happening in the first place. So in that regard, it would not fail the same way that Europe did. Another important point to bring up is that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people were able to find loopholes in the European system. But the reason why there was such a big demand for loopholes in the first place was because the wealth taxes in most of these countries did not start as high as the ones that Bernie and Warren are proposing. A lot of them started at $1 million. Bernie's on the other hand starts at $32.1 million and Elizabeth Warren starts at $50.1 million. So the amount of tax exemptions or the amount of, uh, of loopholes that are in place will be in less demand from a broader population so that's not necessarily going to apply the way it did in the united states either so overall the failures of the european attempts at wealth taxes were not due to the nature of there being a wealth tax it was due to the methods in which they were implemented and the the uh, political landscape of the european union in the first place so if you do hear that argument in another debate which i'm sure you probably will because a lot of the democratic candidates are wary of wealth tax for this specific reason that's not a valid reason to not support a wealth tax it was about implementation it was not about the principle of it
1: yeah that's some really good those are great points and on top of that also like we, we have a similar circumstance in the United States right now with estate taxes. So certain um, states uh, tax um, the transition of um, money from a dead person to their heir over a certain amount of money it's much higher than other states. And so what you see is actually really wealthy people move as they get close to um, passing away. They move to states where there's no... Or a lower estate tax, and to avoid that tax, which is essentially the exact same move that um, wealthy people would, were making in the European Union, but in fact, the states were losing, are, are losing currently between an estimated sixty to seventy percent of potential estate tax revenue because of these really wealthy people moving, and yet still the states are netting billions of dollars of tax revenue yeah. from just the minority of people that are. So
0: staying. even that's not a good argument for like. For let's, not having it be, at all. Let's be competitive to keep more rich people here so yeah. that way they give us more money. No, because they're still paying more.
1: Yeah, the worry is just that when you know people leave, their money goes with them, and so they, they're not stimulating your economy, they're stimulating other economies. Yeah. Um, so that's an argument really for a national yeah tax. That's an argument for a national wealth tax as exactly. opposed to a state-based one Which or something like that.
0: Which I don't think is the argument that a lot of corporatist Republicans want to make.
1: So those were some of the main arguments that I've read about... Um, out of the news if you have more arguments feel free to reach out to us you can contact us on facebook or instagram um and don't we, we also have a twitter we do also have a twitter it's at the Perspectrum podcast yeah i think it's i think that's it <laughs> um and so yeah to reach out to us with other arguments you've heard and things you'd like us to respond to we'd love a stumper yeah really yeah. good arguments where we are always looking for them so yeah
0: exactly And now for our favorite segment, Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week. So, Michael,
1: who's our Ass Hat this week? Oh, we've got a special one. This guy might be the most unmitigated Ass Hat that we've had. Definitely
0: Maybe, the most dangerous Ass Hat.
1: Yeah, considering that, his position. The priest we talked about a few weeks ago might might have been one of the worst, but this guy, oh my goodness! And unfortunately, guys, we usually like to end these on like someone like a positive note, like someone empowering. Yeah. So, not this week,
0: not this week. Um, so, in lieu of that, let's just try to laugh at how ridiculous this guy is while also recognizing how dangerous he is.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So, his name is Clarence Mason Weaver, he is a right wing pundit, and you might be thinking, Who is this nobody? Why are we even talking about this nobody? Well, that is because. He was recently announced as a member of the Trump advisory board. Yes, the man whose quotations we are about to read has a direct line to the president, a man who has made claims such as that women aren't equal to men and that they damage society when they won the quote right to leave the home and go to work. He also talks about how women that report sexual misconduct in the work are the reason why we don't want to be around you in business. He also said that women should carry themselves as handmaidens and be submissive.
1: Holy crap. Yeah, and that's just like the first he's literally, he said, handmaiden. Handmaidens. He's literally calling out a dystopian future where women are subjugated to men. Exactly. Like, handmaid's tale? You crazy, like, yeah, dude was, who saw that as that an instruction was a warning, manual? Not as an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. This dude is a freaking whack job. Yeah. He said recently, uh, he said in a recent video that women shouldn't be queens because we don't look for queens. Queens is hard work. We look for handmaidens, sweetheart. We look for a helpmate out there, girl. And no king is looking to share his kingdom.
0: And when he says we, he's specifically talking about all men. Yes.
1: And women should be quiet and be humble and be submissive
0: and apparently men that don't believe what he believes are beta males. Yes. So so apparently Michael we're we're beta males.
1: Well, <laughs> depends on what aspect of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> also like there's nothing wrong with being like a person who is not a loud aggressive asshole. Yeah. Like Exactly. Like if that's a beta male, I'm chill with that. I'm cool with that. That's fine with me. Yeah. So he, he said, he said, men have created, maintained, and devel- developed every social improvement in our history. The current attack on masculinity, led by feminists and their weak beta male enablers, are attacking the very men because they hate our society. It's time for aggressive, masculine men and the women who love us to answer.
0: Wait a minute. If the women who love us, are backing up if they're having an opinion in society isn't that antithetical to your argument
1: (laughs) also like uh going to the moon madame curie like x-rays are you kidding like you are an insane man you're
0: a dumbass you're Uh. a dumbass and an asshat so this guy is a terrible human being uh, in another video that he did, he actually talked about how um, it's bad for for husbands to think about the happiness of their wives, because wives shouldn't be happy. They should just give us children. The fact that we give them children for them to raise, that is their purpose in life. We shouldn't care about their happiness. This guy's married, by the way.
1: Oh, his poor, poor I wife. I feel
0: so sorry for his poor wife. I mean... I guess so. I guess you care about the happiness of Brie, right? I I really do. Yeah. Ap- yeah. Apparently, apparently, you are a beta male who is destroying society. That I guess I
1: can't argue with that. <laughs> You're a
0: beta male enabler. Oh my god. You're gosh. a beta male.
1: This is uh, and the craziest part is that this dude is an advisor to the White House. He's on the Trump advisory board so just think about that for any women out
0: there that support Donald Trump just think for a second Trump is a guy that saw this person saw this guy and was like I want that guy I want that guy to advise me
1: this guy this guy wants that he, he started out as their marriage counselor and now he's on the advisory board
0: <laughs> that would explain a lot <laughs> So,
1: Melania, if you're listening to this, send up smoke signals. There are people out there that can help you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, a hearty congratulations to Clarence Clarence Mason Mason Weaver for being our Asshat
1: of the Week. So, the real question, then, is... If Bernie's arguing that there just shouldn't be billionaires and his tax plan is trying to...
0: Well, not get rid of billionaires. Sure. Would not get rid of billionaires, but it is kind of fulfilling the principle that he is kind of putting forth. Um,
1: So what do we think about
0: that? So, Michael, do you want to start or you want me to?
1: Why why don't you start? Because my points are more principle and probably less factual based than yours.
0: So one thing that I want to bring up, I feel like a lot of people have trouble comprehending just how much a billion (laughs) dollars is yeah so i'd like to just put into perspective for you for just a second because that's what we do with the perspectrum. um so if i were to give you a dollar every second it would take 11.6 days in order for you to have a million dollars you know so it would take uh, about a week and a half right if i were to give you a dollar every single second It would take 31.7 years for you to have a billion dollars. So just think about that for a second. The amount of money that one billion dollars actually is, is insane. It is a ridiculous amount of money. It is the amount of money that no one, no one could possibly spend in a lifetime. And the only way that you could have possibly accumulated that much wealth is through exploitation. There's no other possible way that you could have accumulated that much wealth. So that's the argument that a lot of people make in favor of, we should just not have billionaires. There should never be any billionaires. And I have a lot of sympathy for that particular argument.
1: Now, and yeah, let's like the odds of becoming a billionaire in the United States if if we just assume that, you know, you today and all the statistics remain the same, it would be about the same as getting struck by lightning over the next 5 years. So you have a choice, like you'll become a billionaire or you'll be struck by lightning <laughs> over the next 5 years. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. So the important
0: thing that I the important conclusion that I want to make on this though is the reason why I think that it's practical for people to be against the concept of billionaires is because poverty exists. Poverty exists, homelessness exists. And as long as there are people hoarding that wealth that have the ability to get rid of that poverty, we are living in an immoral society. Now I am prepared to say that if we were able to get rid of that, if we were able to make sure that not a single person lived in poverty, not a single person in the United States lived in poverty, then I would say, all right, as long as there are strict regulations to make sure that uh, billionaires are not exploiting their workers, then we can have billionaires. So I do not believe in a 100% tax on any wealth over a billion dollars. I do not believe that. And I sympathize with people. I do sympathize with people that say, let's completely get rid of billionaires. But I just want to temper that a little bit by saying that the reason why a person should be against that is specifically because of how many people are, might be exploited by the billionaires and how many people are living in poverty while billionaires are living on more wealth than they could possibly spend. So if we can fix those problems... If we can fix poverty, if we can, if we have enough regulations on labor and enough uh, power for the labor force in order to make sure that they're not being exploited, then and only then will I say billionaires are fine. But until then, um, I sympathize with the sentiment.
1: I think those are some really strong points. I am not totally convinced that all wealth over a billion dollars has to be obtained illegitimately, um, and so like that's that's like a really fact-intensive claim that I would be worried about, like totally making, because um, like there are like there are a lot of people on the list of billionaires in the United States. There's 607 currently, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but a good number, and includes people like Oprah, um, and you know you can say like it includes Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and like I like I think Warren Buffett's amazing, like the things that he has done to turn around companies. If you like Heinz ketchup, like thanks Warren Buffett, thank like <laughs> that he's the reason they're around. Like I think that there are people. That have had a tremendously positive impact. Now, I don't have the facts to claim that none of those people have ever exploited any of their workers to the to the extent like to the claim you're making. So it depends probably on your definition of exploitation. If you, if your definition of exploitation is paying anyone um, in modern dollars less than fifteen dollars an hour, um, then probably that does probably scrub the list.
0: Well, that's why I set up the parameters of my argument as being yeah. if they are not. If they're not exploiting and if there's sure. nobody living in poverty, then billionaire away.
1: And so so I think that the second part is a really important part of the argument. And that is that like while extreme suffering exists, it would it would be an unjust part of society for that level of wealth to also exist. Um and so, like, none of us is free of benefiting from exploitation. None of us, probably of the people listening to this podcast, have benefited to the tune of a billion dollars. Yeah. But if you've ever purchased something made in China, there's a good chance that it went through a Lao Gai camp, which yeah. is a slave labor camp.
0: The microphones that we're using right now to do this podcast, mm-hmm. the uh, the Macs that we're currently looking at to yeah. do this research, search. All of that was made through exploited labor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you've like, and, and that's the extreme end. If we're talking about a living wage, like anytime you've, you know, gone to a grocery store or, you know, purchased fast food or used products that have been tested on animals, you know, there's like, yeah. there's the list is, is very long. And so that's not to say that we shouldn't strive for a better world. Um, And it's also not to say that, us just using products that are available to us is the same as fittings extremely in an extreme way from that exploitation. But I just want to put it that put it, kind of put that into the record. But I think all of that actually kind of meshes with your point about inequality rather well. And so my my thought is that when I hear like someone say billionaires shouldn't exist, um, that doesn't make sense to me as I understand like the way our economy functions as i understand like how you accumulate wealth and go about you know growing things in the economy um, but the but the point about inequality is a really strong one and we and it's not saying that billionaires you know are like people that shouldn't exist in the world no 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 it's just a level of wealth that extreme yeah while so many people live in terrible suffering is an inequality that's likely not tenable and likely unjust. All
0: right, so let's end the podcast on a nice little high note with our highlights. Michael, what was your highlight?
1: I got to say last week it was Thanksgiving. Like I got to spend Thanksgiving with my family um, and we were up at my uncle's house On his farm, and we were shooting bird like clay birds, and we were, you know, eating good food and just having a really fun time. And then I also got to spend it with Bree's family as well, well, her parents, and got to, you know, have a nice chill day with them and get into the uh, Christmas spirit. Yeah. I
0: had three Thanksgiving dinners. Oh my gosh. Um, Two with my parents, one with my wife's family. Um and you you've had my dad's cooking before. Oh I, my gosh. I like
1: it is so rich and I so messed, good.
0: Like I destroyed my body. I at the end of that meal I was on the couch, I could not talk and it was wonderful. I
1: thought you looked a lot more like a turkey today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that All sounds right. really good. All right. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. Have a wonderful week.